We're celebrating Lent this year. We had Ash Wednesday service together, and that was wonderful. Ben Barnhart gave a great word about repentance. And last few weeks, we've been talking about what it means to uh, journey Lent with a sense of expectancy, that the winter in the physical, the winter are dreaming months. They're hibernating months. Everything is either dead or asleep in the winter. You know, and then as we move towards spring, things are starting to wake up. Nature's starting to wake up in the late winter, and we're, uh, there's, there's seeds that are germinating beneath the surface, and things are moving, and things are starting to wake up. Similar in our journey as humans, we slow down in the winter, and the winter is a time for us to reflect. A winter is a time for us to dream. It's not wasted time to dream. Every uh, possession of the land is preceded with a godly dream. You cannot possess the land as Caleb and Joshua did without having first heard from the Father. If it's simply our good idea or, um, you know, a collaborative effort, then it's going to fail. We need God's um, smile and his um, intention on our dreams and, and what we're doing, so... So today, uh, this week, as I was preparing, I felt like it was important to talk about perseverance and what, what it means for us as a community, as people in general, how to keep going. How do you keep going when life is difficult? How do you, how do you keep going? Because it's true that we all face opposition at some point in time. We all go through struggle in fact, I'm told that you would not be a Clevelander unless you came together over struggle. It's written in the stories that's been handed down over the, over the years. It's, it's, it's written into the fabric of the story of our sports teams. It's the drive. It's the shot. It's the fumble. It's the decision, right? This tired story. We wouldn't be Clevelanders unless we had to struggle and we're going to be in uh, Hebrews today, if you wanted to turn or swipe there with me. And we're going to be talking about perseverance. And Hebrews is the perfect book for Clevelanders. Hebrews was written for people who were not unfamiliar with struggle. They dealt with opposition in their journey as uh, Clevelanders deal with opposition as well. And there's a, a commercial that I came across uh, actually a few years ago, but I thought of it this week. And you might be familiar with the commercial. The commercial is, um, it's this grand concert hall. And um, in the audience are this mom and dad. And the mom and dad are like, have you seen him? Have you seen him? Do you know which one I'm talking about? It's this Pass It On series. And they're like, no, I don't see it. And all of a sudden, the camera changes. And you see the boy on stage with this grand piano. And he starts playing what? Twinkle, twinkle, little star. And the audience is like confused. And they're like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, the maestro comes out from the side of the stage. And do you remember what he does? He puts his arms around the boy. And he starts playing this beautiful counter melody 
to what the boy is, is playing, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful, and he whispers in his ear, he says, keep going. Don't give up. Keep going. This is the good part. Do you remember? For those of you who have seen the commercial. And I'm a history buff. For those of you who, who don't know, I went to and graduated from the Ohio State University with a BA in history. <clears throat> and my father was a history teacher, and my, my brother is a history teacher. We're fond of the past and learning from the past. And particularly, I love stories, and not just of like the great historical figures, you know, the Abraham Lincoln and the George Washington, but the story behind the scene, you know. Who, who, was, who was the person who, not, not so much Billy Graham, but who led Billy Graham to the Lord? That's what intrigues me. You know, who's that guy who was the link in the chain that led Billy Graham to the Lord? Those kind of stories, you know? And so as I watched this commercial, I felt like, oh man, I, I want to know if this is um, a true story. And in fact, it is. It's based on a true story. And I'm aware that we have a... Um, an Eastern European component here this morning, and so I went to Tom, and I went to Tom's son, Kuba, to ask if I could get the pronunciation right. So please have grace with me if I, for, if I, if I mess up on the name. But this is a true story about Ignacy Jan Paderewski. 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 It's one of those three. Anyway, Pudreski was a famous uh, Polish composer. And he was scheduled to perform this concert in this great American hall. It was, it was a highbrow event. You know, it was um, everybody in high society had come out to hear uh, Pudreski play the piano. And um, all of a sudden, this, this fidgety nine-year-old boy gets up and is attracted to this, uh, you know, Steinway piano on stage. And he gets on stage, and here's where it's rumored. They don't know whether it was um, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, or some say Chopsticks. It was, one of, it was one of the other. But unlike the commercial, everyone in the audience was not so nice in, in these days. They were upset that there was a young boy on the stage playing the piano, and they were shouting things like, get him off the stage. What's going on here? Remove him from that piano. But true to form, the maestro, Pudreski, comes out from the stage and puts his arm around the boy and begins to play a counter melody on the piano that's just beautiful. Beautiful. And he whispers in his ear, he says, keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up. And as I thought about this story, I began to see a picture of how the Father in heaven is with us. There are times when we feel like we've taken a leap of faith and we've stepped out to follow the call of God only to hear the audience yelling, get off the stage, get him away from that piano. Who do you think you are? And then the Father who loves us joins us and whispers into our ears, don't give up. Keep going. And he begins to make something beautiful out of our simple offering. Today we're going to talk about perseverance and not giving up in the face of struggle. 
We're going to talk about Abraham out of the book of Hebrews and his journey. You know, this world has fallen and there's always something that causes us struggle in our lives. Or there's always something that opposes us. There's, there's, still, a, there's still a sense of, the, of a snake in the Garden of Eden. It's always something, whether it is a, a parent with dementia or a, a wayward child or a loved one who's uh, deep into an addiction, whether it's physical pain in your body or the, the lack of a job or unhappiness at your current job. Maybe you're facing a lawsuit or you're going through a divorce. The fact is that all of us face opposition at some point. We're going to come into the face of adversity. And even when we think we've succeeded, those successes don't last long. It's like we were expecting great triumph, but, you know, that didn't last long either. So how do we do that? How do we keep going despite opposition and struggle? How do we keep going with expectancy for what God's going to do in the future? Others may, in your life may tell you it just, it just takes grit, pure determination, try harder. You know, some of the synonyms of perseverance. You're going to need moxie for that one. You're going to need grit. But is that what really perseverance means? Is that, is that what it means? Does it mean to, what does it mean to have persistent and constant and resolute and steadfast faith in times of trouble or, uh, trouble or struggle to keep going in spite of pain and opposition? We're going to talk about expectant perseverance. What does it mean to have God cultivate something of hope in your belly and fire in your bones to see that your situation and the situation of the city will get better. And I know that's, I know that's a sort of a simple phrase. I didn't put any, you know, high lingo on that one. But isn't that what we're after in the kingdom of God is hope, to see things get better, to see beyond. Why don't you join me in, in prayer and we'll invite God's presence. God, thank you for what you're who you are foremost, God, that you are love and that you are for us and that you love us. You love each and every one who's come this morning and you know where each and every heart is this morning. God, you've purposed people to be here this morning. It's not by accident. You've intentioned people to be here. I pray that Jesus, that you would come. Holy Spirit, would you come we just thank you for your presence and worship and what you're doing in every single one of the folks' lives who have been baptized today, and we bless what you're doing in their lives. We affirm and say, yes, Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come to each individual. I pray, God, that you would encourage people this morning. Would you let me say something that would have positive effect on people? Holy Spirit, would you move in people's heart? I thank you, God, that that you're not a God that just stands off on some holy cloud twiddling his thumbs, but you're involved in our lives. And that you walk the roads, Jesus, that you come and you, you touch our hearts, you change and shift and transform our lives to make us look more like yourself. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us today. That's what we've come here for. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, so we're going to be in Hebrews. Why don't you turn or swipe <laughs> with me to um, Hebrews 11. Hebrews is a book about faith. It's a book about promise. And we read in verse 8, By faith, Abraham, we're going to read through verse 16. Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and, as, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Hebrews is a good book. It's good news for Cleveland this morning. So how do we keep going when life is difficult? How do we keep going? In verse 8, we read that it's by faith. Right off the bat in verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed, and he went. Faith is an instrument. It's a channel. And it's it's not what's commonly thought of as faith today. It's not, it's not faith in some vague idea. It's not, it's not faith in yourself. How tired is that? You just got to believe in yourself. I know what's in there. It's not faith in us. It's not faith in me. It's not faith in the trees. It's not faith in the next job. It's not faith in your money and your bank account. It's simply faith as a gift given from God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Faith is a gift given in the person of Jesus. And faith says, even though I don't know where I'm going, I'm going to obey and I'm going to go. What's the alternative to stay put? You got to go. Faith says you got to go. We step into our inheritance by going into the unknown. If we knew where we were going, it wouldn't be faith at all. We receive the smile of Jesus when we trust Him. We become the amen of God by saying yes and going where we do not know. We walk by faith, not by the things we currently see, but by the things we cannot see. 
That's a tough assignment to keep your eyes on the invisible. But in actuality, those are the things that are the most real, are the things that we cannot see. It's sort of like Indiana Jones. It's in the last crusade. And I just got this picture this week of this scene in Indiana Jones. Do you know the one where he's like almost to the chalice? But oh, there's this gaping chasm, sort of like this baptismal. It's like, I got to get over there. I got to get there. The cup's over there. You know? But oh, the baptismal, how do I cross? And do you remember what he does in the scene? For those of you who have seen the movie, he, he bends over and he picks up dust and he throws it out because he remembers some, you know, some of the instructions that he's heard before and he throws the dust out. And what does the dust do? It like illuminates this like invisible bridge that's in front of him. And faith is not unlike this. Faith is not, you know being blindfolded and walking blindfolded, it's simply, it's simply left foot, right foot, left foot again, as far as we can see. It's doing the things we're called to do as far as we can see. Left foot, right foot. One foot in front of the other. It's not giant leaps to the other end of the baptismal pool or the chasm where the chalice is, where the, where the glory is. It's every day waking up and saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I belong to you. Left foot, right foot. Jesus, I'm yours. I belong to you. I'm going to sit down and have dinner with my family. Left foot, right foot. Jesus, I don't have a job, but I'm, I'm signing up to go to that interview. Left foot, right foot. It's left foot, right foot, one foot in front of the other. That's the journey of faith. And that's how we can keep going despite opposition is to have faith. But what is it in our lives that enables us to keep going to have perseverance? What is it about God? What is it about Him that He's done that causes us to keep going? Well, we can keep going because of the call of God on our lives. We can keep going because of the call of God on our lives. In verse 8, again, we see By faith, Abraham, when called to go, he obeyed and he went. The call of God is important. It's significant. It was simply our good idea. We're going to quit. If If it's out of human intuition, if it's from the flesh, it won't succeed. We'll quit. We'll give up when we face tough times. It's got to be the call of God. We need to hear that. It was Him who called us to do the thing we're doing. Understanding this in our hearts and our minds allows us to have confidence before God when we pray. You see, because a a prayer that's apart from the call of God or the voice of God in our life sounds a lot like this. It sounds frustrated and tired. It sounds like, God, why won't you bless me in this or that? God, I'm, I'm doing this thing for you. I'm staying at this job. It's frustrating. Please back my act, even though I didn't listen to you in the first place. But a prayer under the call of God sounds more like, God, you you called me here. You called. It was you who moved my family 
across the country. It was, it was you who called me. You got me into this. Not blaming him, but saying, God, you're the one. You're the one who got me into this. I can trust you. I can depend on you for help. You called me to this. We're going to need the call of God on our lives in order to persevere past difficulty and opposition. Nothing other than the call of God. Many people know Martin Luther King Jr. as the civil rights activist and, and all, all of the things for racial equality and justice and that the Lord used him to achieve in, in this nation. But what a lot of people didn't see is behind the scenes of the opposition and struggle that he faced on an ongoing daily basis. And at some points, uh, Dr. King was receiving 30 to 40 threatening phone calls a day. Horrible. You know, and, and they thought at the time in the Southern Leadership Council that that this would get better as momentum gained, these things would, these threats would wane. But in fact, the opposite was true. They only increased as Dr. King took ground. And there was one situation before the Montgomery bus boycotts where King had been busy throughout the day. He was, he was up all day at, at organizational meetings and meeting different folks, and he came home around about midnight. His wife and his young daughter were already in bed, and he was eager to get some sleep as well after a long day. And so he crawls into bed, and what happens? The phone rings. Coretta Scott King says, don't pick it up. Dr. King gets up and picks up the phone. And the voice on the other end of the line is menacing, it's threatening, how dare you move your family to Montgomery? He used the N-word. Get your family out of here. We're going to kill you. We're going to kill your family. King hangs up the phone, tries to go back to sleep, but he can't shake the menacing voice that's just been on the other end of the phone. So he gets up. He puts on a cup of coffee, and he sits down at the kitchen table. And King records later in one of his uh, sermons that this night was transformative in his life. He's, he's crying out to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, you called me to this thing. What's going on? What's going on? And King says later that he met the living Christ in an experience that would forever carry him through his ministry and his life. This is a quote. He says, I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still to fight on. He later recalled, he promised, Jesus promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. He promised never to leave me, no, never alone. He heard Jesus say, saying to him in that moment, Martin, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. I'm going to back your act. The call of God matters a lot in our life. 
when we know that it was God who called us into whatever situation we find ourselves in, we can be sure he's with us in it and he's going to back our act in it as well, especially in the struggle. He knows our situation. He's not far off. He sees you and he loves you and he's not going to judge you according to your life as if you had no obstacles to overcome. And indeed, the obstacles and the adversity in your life are a sign that you are following the call of God. You know, there's something in in the adverse, in the reverse of this, that if you weren't experiencing it, didn't Jesus, wasn't it Jesus who said that you'll never face trouble in this world? No, no, Jesus said you will. You will face opposition in this world because of me. If you weren't facing any adversity in the world, that would be a cause to question, are you following the call of God on your life? You see, adversity is not, a, not an excuse for us to quit, to give up. Adversity is, is a backdoor to his presence. Opposition is a backdoor to Jesus' presence. It's an invitation. There's more, son. There's more, daughter, for you in the future. I'm shaping your character in this time. You're experiencing adversity because of the inheritance that you'll step into later. You see, because the way that you are here needs chiseled, needs shaped. You need cultivated. Your gifts need cultivated. Your person, your soul needs tended for. You can't take this thing that you're carrying here. You can't take it into the future. We need to let this thing go over here before you step into what's over here. The call of God is always like that. Adversity, fullness. Adversity, inheritance. It was James who said, consider it pure joy. Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work in order for you to become mature or whole and complete. What else keeps us going? Clinging to the Word of God. Clinging to the Word of God. The Word, the written Word, and the things that God is underlining in Scripture in your hearts and in your minds. Clinging to it. At verse, in verse 11, we read this, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And I want to parallel this verse with Isaiah 55, 11. Eugene Peterson, out of his uh, version of the Bible, the message writes, uh, the words that come out of my mouth, this is the Lord speaking, will not come back empty-handed. They'll do the work that I sent them to do, and they'll complete the assignment I gave them. The word that God speaks to you is the one that reassures you in your, in your struggle. The word that God speaks to you is the voice of truth in your life. And that can be tough sometimes, can't it? That can be impossible sometimes. Almost always, the voice of God will call you to do things that are impossible for you to do on your own. That's how you know it's the voice of God. If it's impossible for you to do it on your own, that's the Father's heart. It's interesting to know that when the promise was made to Sarah that she'd bear children... And her old age. What do the scriptures tell us? 
What does Sarah, how does Sarah respond to the promise that's been made to her? Do you remember? Sarah laughs. She laughs at the promise. In the New Testament, when Mary was told that she was pregnant with the chosen one, with Jesus, we're told in Scripture, what does she do? She questions or ponders. Ponders is a nice way of saying, are you kidding me? questioning the voice, the call of Jesus, the promise of Jesus. And there are things that we can learn about both of these spiritual, supernatural pregnancies that I want to kind of bring this down with. Sarah, Sarah laughed first. Many of the promises of God will make you, uh, may make you want to laugh. Really? That thing? Really? You've called me to do this? Really, you want me to accomplish that in the kingdom? Really? Really, God? The promises of God may make you exclaim in laughter, no way, not me. If it seems impossible, it may make you laugh. But Sarah believed beyond impossibility. Perseverance looks a lot like believing beyond what we think is impossible. The reality of the unseen is more real than what has been spoken over your life in the past. And that's good news for us today. You know the voice of the accuser. You're too timid. You're, you'll never step into that role. People are not for you. They don't want to see you succeed. You're a failure. Look at your life. You'll, you'll never finish what you started. You never do. You never finish what you start. It's impossible. You've been in debt all of your life. How can you expect to be free? You've been addicted to alcohol for years. You're not going to get set free from that. It's impossible. You can't overcome that. But you can be sure that if in any area you hear those accusations or your past failure that's brought up in your face, those are the exact areas spoken to you by Jesus. The same areas you experience impossibility are the exact areas God wants you to thrive in and bring life to others around you in. His word doesn't return empty-handed. We can cling to his word. We can, we can get through. We can thrive. We can have perseverance. We can have expectancy by clinging to his word. By having faith, by clinging to his word. And what else? In closing, we can also... Oh, wait, I forgot Mary. This is the other parallel. Let's bring in Mary. This is important for this. Uh, Mary, Mary pondered. Sarah laughs. Mary ponders. Sarah laughs. Mary questions. We have a young, unwed Hebrew woman. The angel comes to her. You're going to carry the Son of God. And she questions. She says, me, a virgin? But really, she's freaking out right now. The NIV is, the NIV is like uh, docile. It's tamed. She's freaking out. She says, in essence, God, you're changing my life. I'm freaking out. It's, di it's difficult right now. I don't know what's happening, but I'm clinging to the word. I'm clinging to the word that you spoke to me. And what was the word that was spoken over Mary's life? Do you remember when the angel came to her and made the announcement? 
The word over Mary's life is highly favored. The word over her life is chosen. The word is that the Lord is with me. The lesson here is that the promises of God you question over your life are the things you treasure and have joy in when you see the promise come in fullness. And that's really good. That's really good. Let's hear it again. Some things are really good. You need to hear them twice because we leak. I'm not, you, you realize I'm not praising myself when I say let's hear that one again. Okay? Let's get that straight. Oh yeah, my ego's thoroughly nailed to that thing back there. Okay. Um, the promises of God you question or you laugh at over your life are the things you treasure or have joy in when you see the promise come to the surface later in fullness when the child's born that's when Mary treasures at first she questions then she treasures Jesus is born the pain is over the child is here she treasures Sarah laughs at the promise of God children in old age me never ha Child is born, and they name it. Who, who do they name the child? Isaac. What does Isaac mean? Laughter. God, you've given me laughter. The laughter, the, mo- the mocking laughter, is changed to a laughter of joy when the promise comes, when the child comes. Trusting he's working that difficulty for joy, that struggle for joy means everything that he's working that opposition into something later that you're going to treasure forever in your life that you you wouldn't trade the world for. That's the good stuff. Questioning into treasuring. So good of him. And lastly, we can keep going because of the promises of God in our lives. Look at Hebrews 11, 8 through 16 again. And watch how many times the word promise is mentioned. By faith, in verse 9, he made his home in the promised land. Again, in verse 9, who were heirs with him of the same promise. In verse 11, considered him faithful who have made the promise. In verse 13, they did not receive the things promised on. Promise this, promise that. See, Abraham and the patriarchs kept going because they grasped by faith that something better was on the horizon. When you start to drag the promise to the future to the surface what you're saying is that there's something better beyond in the future that's what it means when you drag the promise to the surface there's something bigger out there than what they were experiencing there's something more wonderful that's just around the corner some may see this as childish optimism but brothers and sisters that's what it means to have faith that there is something more. There's more out there than what I'm currently experiencing. It's not just some empty promise because you serve a, a promise-keeping God. Do you realize that when you see the rainbow in the sky, you should be reminded every time you see a rainbow that my God keeps His promises. He will stand by my side. He will, he will back my act. I serve a, a promise-keeping God. They knew, Abraham and his family knew they were exiled. 
And they knew they weren't there yet. They knew they were not living in houses. They were living in tents. They weren't to the promised land yet. They didn't fit in. They faced opposition. But they kept going because the faith, they knew that God's day was coming. It's going to come. It's going to happen. The day when the kingdom of God will be revealed. It's the promise of God. Something bigger. Something better. It's life that goes beyond this life that keeps us going. And the minute we say we can't continue any longer is the minute we deny the promise of God on our lives. And what has God promised us? What has God promised you? Something to treasure in your heart this morning. For each one of us, He speaks to us individually. He speaks to he's, He created us. He's a, our Creator, so He speaks to us individually. He speaks to us collectively as a community. What are the promises of God in your life? What are the things that God... You, you're calling me to do this. I don't, I don't see the fullness of this thing taking shape yet. But I'm trusting you that you're going to bring it into fruition. Something better. Something beyond what I can see. There's more out there. And knowing that that promise is rooted and grounded in your inheritance from the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That he paid the cost for the better country that we're talking about here in Hebrews. He went to the cross and, and paid that. So I want to encourage you as we close this morning to not give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. And I, I can encourage you. I can because God is always true to his word. The God of the heavens and the earth is a promise-keeping God. Don't give up. Don't give in. When others have turned their back on you, when, when you have failed to keep your word, God will be true to His. God will never give up on you. He sees you. He loves you. He's for you this morning. He's for you. He's not mad at you. He'll always keep His promises to you. And He gave His Son, Jesus, to show that He'll always keep His promise. He'll never leave you alone in this world. There's something about keeping on that attracts the help and the promises of God into our lives. There's something on that He smiles. When we say, when we say in our hearts, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, I will trust you, God. He, he comes and shows us by removing those obstacles. The, those mountains will move. They'll move. You know, so, some of us have developed this theology around failure. But that's not what I read in Scripture. Now, I'm not coming to you with prosperity gospel stuff. I'm just saying the favor of God is already on your life if you claim Jesus. And I'm told that that favor is ever increasing because the culture of Jesus is, is coming towards us faster than we're going to it. You're not going to it. You're not going to be able to keep up with it when it comes to you. There's favor on your life. 
no matter what. So you can say, out of, from a place of favor, no matter what, I'm not giving up. I can keep going because why? God is with me. I know that my relationship with my son or daughter is difficult right now, but I can keep going because God is with me. I'm not where I want to be right now, but I know that God is with me. I'm, I'm bound for a better country. I know that, that I'm going through a divorce right now. But no matter what, I'm bound for a better country. I may be experiencing stress at my workplace. I may be experiencing a, a lawsuit. But no matter what, Jesus, you command my destiny. I'm bound for a better country. I'm bound, as the hymn writer once wrote. You can say in faith, I'm bound for the promised land. I'm bound for the promised land. It's not over Jordan's stormy banks. I'm bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. And that's the heart cry of every follower of Jesus Christ. Eyes fixed on the future. We're bound. Why don't you join me in standing?